You know, in Matthew chapter 14 and verse 22 through verse 33, we have here recorded a storm that the disciples of Jesus Christ go through. This is not their first storm. If anything, this is Storms 102 class. They've already had Storm 101 class. The difference is that in Storm 101, Jesus was in the ship. He was asleep, you remember, at the stern. They thought they were going to die. They woke Jesus up, and they said, don't you care? We're about to die. And Jesus gets up, and he speaks to the waves. He speaks to the wind. Peace, be still. Everything is calm. They get through the storm. And like many of us here this morning, we've been through storms. You've been through storms. But here they go into another storm. One of the things that would be good to know this morning is that the people that are here can be divided up in three groups. Some of you here this morning, you're in the storm. Some of you, you're fighting for your life. I got a text message this week, uh, and, and it read something like this. Our stepdaughter is pregnant. The water broke. It's been many days. There's many days left for the baby to come. Uh, she has got an infection. They're fighting the infection. Uh, she is fighting for her life. Her parents want her to have an abortion. They're thinking about leaving the state of Florida because there's no abortions legal at this point for her. So they're thinking of going to Georgia. We're praying. Our son, the father, does not want the abortion. And I'm reading that text, and I'm thinking, man, these people are in a storm. Some of you here, you're in a storm, and it's an interesting thing. Sometimes we go to church, and we look around, and everybody's dressed their best. We're on our best behavior, you know. Everything is God bless you, praise God, good morning. And through that, someone could be in the storm for, for their life. So some of you, first categories, you're in the storm. Others of you, you just came out of one. You didn't think you would make it. You're on dry land now. You got to the shore and you're thinking, wow, Lord, that was close and you're happy. The check came in. You know, the house closed. You know, the bank said yes. You know, your health is better. The medical results came, came out well, and you just went through the storm. And that's some of you here today. But then there's a third category, and I got some good news because some of you say, that doesn't affect me. I didn't come out of a storm. I'm not in a storm. I good, got good news for you. Some of you, you're about to go into the storm. And that's the way life is. En un momento. In a moment. One doctor's visit. One turn. One stoplight. And you never thought it would be that way. One knock on the door. Last Wednesday, somebody did that. I always wanted to do that. Knocked on the pulpit. One knock on the door. Vasquez family, yes. Your, your husband, your wife, your, I got news for you. It was a bad accident. They died. They didn't make it. One knock. 
changes your whole life. One pandemic. One election. One fight. Here we have the report of Storm 102. So this morning as we go through this, there are some things that we can learn. You could also divide the whole population of the world in two parts. Those that they know God. They know God in Jesus Christ. There's a vertical relationship with God in and through the Messiah, His Son, Jesus, Joshua, the Savior. And, and that's where they are. That's where they live. And then there's the rest of the people. Some religious, some they'll say they believe, some are atheists, some are agnostic, but but it's not really centered on Jesus. And so the way that you really know this two category of people is that in the storms in life, the ones that know God in Jesus, their eyes are going to be on the Savior. The other group of people, well, their eyes are on the storm. See, one group of people, the Savior defines their life. The other group of people, the storm defines their life. They went through a storm. They basically came out of it, you know, maybe lost some hair, lost some emotions. They, their heart was broken. It's uh, spiritually speaking. They lost a limb. They lost their legs. Physically, you look on the outside and they look fine. But spiritually, they're handicapped now. There's been a loss. There's been a price. And they'll go on and they'll go to church and they'll say hallelujah and they'll say praise the Lord. But the storm defined their life. They, they no longer put their eyes, you know, above the mountains. Where does your help come from? Your help comes from the Lord. They, they no longer do that anymore. Now they're, they're defined by the storm, by the tragedy, by what happened, by the loss, by the betrayal. There's been, if you would, a kink in the armor. They're, they're wounded. Damaged goods. Look in the mirror and no longer the smile that they saw. They, they went to school and maybe in the yearbook it said most likely to succeed. But now, now there, there's a difference now. They were an athlete at one point. At one point, they were incredible servants. They were plugged into the church. They stayed the long hours. They did anything for Jesus, anything for the ministry. But now, something's changed. The storm. The storm did it. And this morning is so important. It's so valuable. It's so needed that... I would be that you would be the kind of people that, hey, the storm, whatever storm comes, the storm will not dictate. The storm will not define me. The Savior will define me. So I want to give you some things here. And if you're taking notes, I want to invite you to write down the title. Our, our, our teaching this morning could be titled Jesus Water Walk. Jesus Water Walk. Jesus Walks on Water. 
You could put that as a title if you're taking notes. You could put life storms. Uh, that's another title I thought about. Uh, Jesus walks on water in the storm. I mean, there's so many titles, but basically, if you want just two, you could put Savior or Storm. Savior or Storm. And that's what we want to talk about. So having said that, let's dive in. As we get ready to read the Word of God again, there's a, there's a W-letter word I want to give you, and that's the word working. Working. You see, family, for you to be the kind of person, you know, it's something funny is happening in, in my life, you know. I, I'll give you a little joke uh, about me, you know. I, I turn on my Vitamix. I like those smoothies in the morning, and it didn't click. It doesn't click on. I'm thinking, man, Vitamix. I thought that was indestructible. I mean, those Vitamix are so powerful. I think if you're in Cuba and you put a Vitamix behind the boat, you could leave, you know. I mean, those things are powerful, man. <laughs> and so, I, but I clicked on my, my Vitamix is dead, you know. So I, I picked it up from where I have it. And, uh, and so I plug it in and I turn it on and it turns on. So I'm thinking, man, there's something wrong with the electricity. I guess my, the socket, but the Vitamix is dying, you know, and I do that. And, and so I've been doing that. You know, we have it kind of like in the, in the, in the watch room because my, our counter is filled. We reduce our, our living abilities, you know, our size, you know. And, and so just yesterday, just yesterday, I, I clicked and, and there's a button to turn it on and off. And then there's a button for the high speed. So when you turn the button for the high speed, it doesn't turn on. And I said wait a minute. So I go back, I plug it in the bat socket, and I hit the on button, and it goes up. You know, that's all to say that, you know, I got some mileage on me. It's, it's, not, it's not working like it used to. My wife tells me, she's so, she's so good. She's trying to bring me to reality, because in my mind, I'm thinking, I'm 40. I still got it. My wife says, Raz, you're Social Security official. You're, you're, you're 69, Raz. You're coming on 69. You know who your counterpart is? Yeah, yeah, honey. I, yeah, that's right, honey, you know. But the person that looks in the mirror and they don't recognize who they see, and that's a storm. In my time, it was called arteriosclerosis. They changed the name dementia. They, they have Alzheimer's. They got different names, but the storm is the same. Brilliant minds. I've seen brilliant minds. I've seen minds that no books, no authors. is, is an amaz amazing thing, life. On the upswing, you could take it all. You're smart. You're sharp. But then when life storms press in, that's when the reality comes forth. Are you going to look at the Savior or are you going to look at the storm? Is the storm going to take you? And so... The first word I want to give you is the word working. Write down the word working. How can you know this morning that you're going to be the type of person that you can say, okay, pastor, you're on. Teach me something. And, and, and I pray the Holy Spirit would teach you. Say, so how do I know that I'm going to be the type of person that no matter what storm I go through, man, I'm going to look at my Savior. You got to be aware that God is working in the storms, through the storms, by the storm, with the storm, God is working. Don't just look at the storm. Look for the working of God. So let me define that word working. You might want to write down these words next to the word working. And sometimes it's good to take notes because you hear it, you forget, you see it, you write it. So it helps you to remember. The word working is defined as active, functioning, operating, involvement. God is 
active, functioning, operating. God is involved in the storm that we're going through, working. How do you know? How do I know that I'm really looking at the Savior or I'm preparing to look at the Savior? Know that God is working. Having said that, let me give you another word. It's the word commanding. Commanding. One of the things that prepares us to go through the storm that God is working, listen, know this. Before the storm, often God gives a command. If we learn, if we train, if we train our ear, if we train our heart to heed the command of God, to obey the command of God, then in the storm, what am I looking for? Not just survival, not just that the storm would stop, not that the storm would change, but I'm looking for the word of God. God, what is your command? So the word commanding is priceless, is valuable. If there's one thing needed in life today in the church and the people of God is the commanding of your commander-in-chief, Jesus Christ. So if you wrote down the word commanding, write down these words next to it. It's a definition for the word commanding. Instruction, instruction. What are the instructions of the Lord? The request, the request. What is Jesus asking of you? But this instruction, this request, another word is order. What is the order that God has given you? There's a three-letter word. People don't like to hear it, but it's part of the commanding law. What is the law, L-A-W? Commanding means instruction, request, order, law. It means mandate. What is the mandate that comes from heaven, from God's throne? I like these last two letters, these two words here. As far as God working, how do I know that I'm a type of person, you're a type of person that we're aligning ourselves with the working of God? Well, where there's the working of God, there's the instruction of God, the request of God, the order of God, the law of God, the mandates of God, the regulation of God, the duty, the duty that God has given you to do. So I gave you those two words, right? Working, commanding. Now we look at the scriptures and you're going to see them here. So ready or not, here we go. Pick up with me, verse 22, Matthew chapter 14. Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. While he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. And now the evening came. And Jesus was alone there in that mountain. So let's stop here and let's think about what we just read. First of all, those of us that have been to Israel, you know that in the northern part of Israel, you remember Arbel, right? How many of you have been to Israel? Lift up your hands. Thank you. How many of you remember Arbel? Lift up your other hand. So you got two hands up. You remember Arbel, one of my favorite spots in Israel. You go up the Mount Arbel. When I started going there, it wasn't a national park. It was just a place that Pastor Bill Gallatin, my pastor, discovered. So we would go up to Arbel, and then from Arbel, you see the whole Sea of Galilee. It's a breathtaking place, you know. So here it tells us that Jesus went up to the mountain. But before he goes up to the mountain to pray, it's obvious that we know who he's praying for because the story continues to unfold and shows us that he sent his disciples back to Capernaum, back to the other side, get in the boat, get to the other side. I'm going to dismiss the multitude. And what I'm trying to get you to see here is that before they go into the storm, they had a command from Jesus, get in the boat, get in the boat now and go. Go with me to verse 22 and you see that immediately. 
Something happened that all of a sudden Jesus gives this order. It says he made his disciples. It says get in the boat. And I like this two-letter word here, go. Go before I get, go to the other side. Now, up until this point, some of you are saying, this guy is conjecture. Bring Zach back quick because we, but listen, stick with me. Stick with me on this. In the King James translation of the scripture, it says, and straightway Jesus constrained, constrained his disciples to get into the ship. That word constrain in the Strong's Dictionary of the Bible, it has the number 315. Now, those here that are law enforcement, that immediately makes a connection with you. For law enforcement, when there's a 315, it's a mandate. It's a command. You respond. But let me give you in the original language what that word constrain means. It means to necessitate. In other words, as Jesus is talking to his disciples, you could read it here in verse 22. Immediately, Jesus didn't say, hey, guys, if you feel like it, if you're in the mood, you know, si quieren meterse en el botecito, you know, if you want to. No, no, no. It's a mandate. It's a word that means, it's a word that means compel. It's a word that means drive to. It's a word that means by force. It's almost like a threat. It's a word that you go in the boat and you go now. Ahora, en el barco, vayan. It's a command. And I got to say this, and I know that I'm in dangerous territory here because we're living in a day and age that people don't like to be told what to do. Don't tell me what to do. For example, let me illustrate that. Here at Calvary Chapel, we have a ministry where if you're sixth grade or younger, the, the kids, they go to children's ministry. You'd be amazed how many parents say, no, haven't you, don't you read the Bible? Let the little ones come unto me because of such is the kingdom. We know the Bible. We know that verse. But we also know that children should enjoy coming to church, that they should come to church and get something out of it. And I grew up, I grew up as in a pastor's home where they didn't have children's ministry before the, the service. It was Sunday school ministry, then it was the service. And I sat through the service, moving my, my character, you know, my parents and my mom, and, and it, was, it, was, it was a war. During... Resurrection celebration, you know, you have Good Friday, and during Good Friday, you usually have the seven last statements of Jesus. And my dad was an itinerary preacher, so he had three churches. So on that Friday, I said, man, I'm not getting seven statements. I'm getting 21 statements now. <laughs> As a kid, I already knew that. I'm going to have to sit through three sermons of seven statements. I'll give you another example. You know, here as, as the, the church continues to, to get filled, you know, the ushers, they want to sit people down. I remember when I started as an usher, I, you know, people would come. I would say, how many? Three. I, so I would walk to find the three people, you know, the seats. And when I get to the seat, they sat someplace else. <laughs> Don't tell me where to sit. There's something about us that we resist. And so we say we become born again, we say we become believers, but we leave that part of us in the flesh that, hey, no pastor is going to tell me what to do, no teachers, people that have so much pride, and it works for a while, but wait till the storm comes. The storm will come in your life that will break that pride or it will break you. And so here you have an example where Jesus says to his disciples, get in the boat, get in the ship, go to the other side and do it now. 
And up until this part, I gave you the word 315, anagazo. Anagagazo, actually, in the, in, the, in, the, in the Greek. And I'm not a Greek scholar. I just got a good computer and Bible program. But that word comes from the word number 318. And if you're taking notes, it's a word that means necessity. It's a word that means imposed, imposed either by the circumstances, by law, or by duty. But here's the key. It's a commandment. It's imposed. It's a necessity. But listen to this. For one's advantage. It's the words that are associated with this are calamity, distress. And the reason for this commanding, I hope you're listening, is for conservation. So here we have Jesus giving his disciples a command. We have the disciples heeding that command. To obey that command is going to cause the disciples to be in the storm of their life. As we keep reading, you're going to see that they've been rowing for three and a half miles. That's as far as they've got. They've been rowing for nine hours. Imagine that you obey Jesus and it causes you to be in a circumstance that it seems there's no way out of here. There's no end to this. Esto no se resuelve. Esto no se arregla. This is not going to. And you're listening to Jesus. It's a command, but you got to know this morning. Remember, my, my point here is to try to teach you scripturally how to be the type of person that in the storm, you're going to look at the Savior and not the storm. Well, there's a commanding. You got to know why is that commandment for? It's for conservation. Please write down the word conservation. If you write down the word conservation, here are some words, some synonyms that help you to understand what the word conservation means. So here's one word, Prevention. The command comes to prevent wasteful use of a resource. That word conservation is defined by the prevention of a wasteful use of a resource. Please stick with me on this. Because then as I was studying, I saw the physics definition for the word conservation. You ready for this? Here's the physics Definition. Some of you, you're going to get this. Some of you, like me, at first, I was lost. It says, the principle by which the total value of a physical quantity or parameter, such as energy, mass, linear, or angular momentum, remains constant in a system which is not subject to external influence. Some of you got it. Some of you are saying, what happened to him? So we got the physics definition, but allow me to give you the personal God relationship definition. You ready for this? Conservation means that a person stays on point, stays on mission, sticks to the plan, is true to the purpose. I'll repeat that. Jesus gives a commandment. For conservation, what does conservation mean? That the disciples that choose to obey the command of Jesus, they're going to stay on point. They're going to stay on mission. They're going to stick to the plan that God has for their life. They're going to be true to the purpose of what, which they were born for. Ladies and gentlemen, family, my brothers and sisters, let me tell you, Right now, this is a very valuable time. 
last Wednesday here, you remember the comment that was made that some of the poorest people in life are the ones with the most money. There's so many people, maybe some of you here, and you go to work, and you go to sleep, and you eat, and your life is like this, but there's no divine purpose. You're not with the plan that God has for your life. You're not on mission. And so conservation is that in your personal, vertical relationship with God, you would stick to the plan. You would stay on course. You would be on your mission. You would accomplish your purpose. One of the things that I've seen that I get the privilege of being with people when they come to the end of their life, and not everybody dies the same. And basically, if I could reduce it, some people, when they're dying, they're lost. They're trembling. They're, they're fighting it. They might be drugged up, but spiritually, you could tell it's restless. But some other people... Not because of their strength, because of their purpose and their mission, they're calm. They're about to see their commander in chief. They're, they're able to say, like Paul, I fought my fight, I've run my race, I've kept the faith. Let's do this, Lord. Let's do this now. It's wonderful. So now put a marker in Matthew 14. Go with me to Matthew chapter, to John chapter 6, because now you're going to see where I get this command, where I get this conservation. What is he talking about now? It's going to be very clear to you. John chapter 6, verse 15. So in the Gospel of John, chapter 6, John gives us more information about when Jesus sent his disciples to the boat to go across the lake to get in the water. Jesus had just multiplied the loaves and the fish, and he had fed 5,000 men. When you add the ladies and the children, some people guesstimate that it was about 20,000 people. So Jesus takes a few fish, a few loaves of bread. He multiplies it. He feeds about 20,000 people. And then in verse 15... John chapter 6, it says, Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. And as you keep reading this, you see evening came. His disciples went down to the sea. They got into the boat. They went to the sea towards Capernaum. It was already dark, and Jesus had not come to them. Then the sea arose. See, that it's a storm. It's the same storm of Matthew 14. There was a great wind blowing. Look at verse 19. They rode about three or four miles. They saw Jesus walking on the sea. He was getting close to the boat, and they were afraid. Now, he said to them, it is I. Don't be afraid. They willingly, after some point, they received Jesus into the boat, and then immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. Now, go back to verse 15 and notice that Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him a king. Put a marker there. We're going to come back to it. Go with me to Deuteronomy. Go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 18. You're going to see the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. So here in Deuteronomy 18... You're going to see when Moses had prophesied, had foretold that Jesus, the prophet, would come. So we go to Deuteronomy chapter 18. 
And you're going to see where in John chapter 6, the people, after they see the miracle that Jesus does, they want to make Jesus king by force, by human strength, by political achievement, if you would. Are you there in Deuteronomy 18? Look with me at verse 15. Moses there is speaking what God had put in his heart. He says, the Lord your God. I got to wait because this page is turning, and I like him when page is turning. You know, that's one of the things about the um, electronic Bible, that when you go to the, you, you can't hear the pages. Someone said there's an app that you could put the app on it, and now when you go, and you know, so, so when I use more of my electronic Bible, I'll do that. You know, and electronic Bibles are great. I got nothing against them except, you know, when the power grid goes off, you know, they have this electromagnetic kind of deal, you know. If you got the old school kind of Bible, it'll be good. You'll be able to keep reading your Bible, you know. So, but anyway, that's, don't charge that to the teaching, please. By now you're at Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. And look at what it says. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren, him you shall hear. Uh, go, go back to John 16. So we see in Deuteronomy where Moses had prophesied this. Now we go to John chapter 6, and some of you, from everything you've heard, you said, uh, Pastor, I'm not making the connection. You will now. Look at verse 14. John chapter 6, verse 14. And now you see it. Then... Those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, here's what they said. This is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. And now you put it together with verse 15, and it says, therefore, every time you see a therefore, you should know why it is therefore. When Jesus knew what their thinking was, he perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. Well, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. Go back, if you would, to Matthew chapter 14. And now Matthew gives us more information, which is valuable for understanding how we, how you, how I can be the type of man, the type of people that no matter what storm comes in life, I'm ready, even if I'm not ready, because I've prepared properly. How did I do that? Knowing that Jesus is working, knowing that Jesus is a Lord and Savior that is commanding, but knowing that when Jesus is commanding, it's because he is conserving. And now we know what he's conserving, right? That the disciples would be on course, on point, on target with their purpose. So now look with me at Matthew 14, and you see in chapter 14, Matthew, verse 22, he gives us the information, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, while he, Jesus, is the one that sent the multitude away. Nobody's in a hurry yet, right? 12, 12 15. There's a modern-day theology in the church today that says that God's not talking to people anymore. That basically you as a believer, you do whatever you want. And that sounds good until you're in the storm. And the waves are coming in, and the boat is sinking, 
And not only is your life in jeopardy, but the life of the wife you love, the life of the children that God has used you to bring into the world. And all the walls are coming against you. And let me tell you something as a believer here this morning. Part of a relationship with Jesus Christ vertically is that he is still talking to people today. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. And I'm so glad that as a kid I learned this and I prayed, Lord, what do you want me to do? I said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And I didn't want to be a pastor. The last thing I would have chosen to be was a pastor. I knew the pay wasn't good. I knew the betrayal was intense. I knew that people sometimes they would say, Hosanna, Hosanna. And then the next week they would say, crucify. I knew that because I saw it in my dad. Hey, some of you don't know this story, so bear with me because some of you know this story. But let me tell the story to the people that don't know the story. And it affected me as a kid. My mom and dad went to pick us up at school. So it was me and my sister. And so as we're walking home, my dad says, oh, nos mandaron un regalito. We have a little gift that they gave us, they sent us. So I was excited as a kid. I said, oh, a regalito, a gift, you know. So we walk into the house, 238 West, 106th Street, New York City, between Broadway and Amsterdam, two blocks away from Riverside Park, where I learned how to ride my sleigh. It was a fun time, and the snow. My mom showed me how to ride the bike. But let's get to the point, Pastor. Here's the point. We get into the apartment building that had a hallway, you know, it seemed very long. And we come to the dining room table, and there's the regalito. There's the gift. But I'm like about six, seven years old, and I'm looking at that, and there's a black fish, and then there's a black-headed doll, and then there's pins, and it was a Santeria trabajito that they had sent to my dad, people from the church. And you know why they did that? Because they didn't like him as a pastor. They wanted him out. So here's Christians on Sundays that they do Santeria on the weekdays. <laughs> But I love my dad because now I see his strategy. His strategy was, Satan, you, you're going to come against me with un trabajito de santería? I'll show my I'll show my daughter. I'll show that. Let's get it out in the open. You know, prior to that, my dad was oh, an intense individual. He would work so hard. And in New York City, he would wind up in the hospital about every year. You, you could count on it. He would have like a, like a physical collapse. And after that, it's like the Lord stepped in and he was on a new course. His goal, his target. Listen, there, there's a lot of ideas. There's a lot of theologies. You could believe what you want. By now, I probably lost you. But haven't seen that. You think I want to be a pastor? So that they would send me un trabajito, un regalito? <laughs> Praise God, they never did that in the ministry. I had other things. I had a Santeria high priestess come on a service one day and stand up and try to go against the husband that she wanted to humiliate in the middle of the service. I remember Carl was there and they escorted them out. I mean, the things you got. You think I wanted to be a pastor? But as I tuned into the voice of the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to do? I'll do anything, Lord. I'll sell Frankfurters in the corner. I'll, Lord, I need to know, God, what is the purpose of my life? And one day, after a long struggle, I open up to Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. And there was, come follow me, and I will make you a fisher of men. And I knew. I knew what the Lord was calling me to. It's a funny thing. Some people say, don't be a pastor. You won't make enough money. I remember not having income and being in Aruba. My sister had sent us the tickets. She wanted to have the nephews there. And I'm in Aruba. I'm on the beach. I'm soaking the, the waters and the rays. And God says, hey, Raz, so, so what do you think? 
Do I take care of the people that work for me? <laughs> yes, Lord, yes. Aruba, yes, Lord, you take care of us. And there's been times, there's been times where the groceries have been left at our door, front door. And God is so amazing. He knows I like ice cream. And when we would go home, there would be the groceries there. I started suspecting Isel. I said, Isel, are you calling people and telling them that when we're not there to bring these groceries? Because you know, I don't do that, you know. No rats. I... They would buy the ice cream. They would get it to our door. How did they know when we were coming home? It, it was a God thing. God takes care of those that determine they're going to dedicate their life for whatever purpose God has. Some of you is law enforcement. Some of you, you're professors. Some of you, you're blue collar. Some of you, you're white collar. But do you have that certainty that you're doing what God wants you to do? And some people, because they didn't want to fight through hearing God's voice, they came up with this thing. Well, God doesn't speak today. God, God doesn't speak today? Keep reading this. And notice what happens here. There's a working of God going on. In verse 22, he gives them a command, get in the boat, get in the boat now. It's a command. It's not a suggestion. And they heeded that command. But now you see it's for conservation. Look at verse 23. He sent the multitudes away. He went up to a mountain by himself. And what is Jesus doing? He's praying for his disciples. Now the evening comes and he's alone in the mountain. But look at verse 24. The boat was now in the middle of the sea. And look at this family. The boat is being tossed by the waves, by the wind. It was contrary. They're rowing. Look at verse 25. It's the fourth watch. Fourth watch. You know what that means? It's 3 to 6 o'clock in the morning. They divided the watches in segments of time. This is the fourth watch between 3 and 6 in the morning. And look at this. Jesus comes to them walking on the water. Please let me stop there a second. Let me look to your eyes. Let me tell you, they've been rowing for nine hours. You remember, that's why John told us at evening time, Jesus dismissed them. It's now three o'clock in the morning. And they're rowing. And if you know the Sea of Galilee, it's eight miles wide and it's 13 miles long. They've been rowing across the sea and they're only in the middle of it. It's the kind of thing that they're never going to get through this. They're never going to get by on their own strength. You need Jesus. You need Jesus in the boat. And you need to hear the voice of Jesus. Say, Pastor, where are you getting that from? Go back to Matthew 14. You're going to love it. You're going to see it. You're going to read it there. Jesus saw his disciples and walking on the water, walking on the sea, they were troubled. And look at the disciples. They say, it's a ghost. Are you there with me? Verse 25. It's the fourth watch of the night. Jesus comes to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples see Jesus walking on the sea, they're troubled, and they said, it's a ghost. The translation to that is, it's a spirit, they cried out for fear, but immediately Jesus spoke to them. You see where I got the voice of Jesus? He says, be of good cheer. It is I. Don't be afraid. Stop a second. I hope you get this. You got to get this. They're still in the storm. They're still on the ship. It's still shaking them. What's the only thing they have if they grasp it is the word of Jesus. Be good cheer. Be not afraid. I am. Now, when you go look at some other gospel writers, you're going to see that it seems that Jesus is going to pass them. So I want you to get the story. They're here in the ship. And they're rowing. And the wind is coming. And Jesus sees them. And he says, you know what? These guys are not going to call out to me. They're not going to exercise. They forgot all about Storms 101. I better go to them. But I want them to get it on their own. I want them to get this. So Jesus is kind of like passing the boat. And you got to get this, right? Because it's not still like now. The storm is on, 
And as Jesus is walking, he's walking on the waves and he's passing them, you know? And then imagine you're going to help someone, right? And it's Jesus and he's going to help them. And they say, tu eres un demonio. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine you're going to help someone and they should know you. They should recognize you. And they call you a ghost? I know none of you would do this, but you almost want to say, bueno, sigue remando. <laughs> sigue remando entonces, calling me. Don't, don't you get it? Some gospel writers say, some theologians say that what Jesus is saying there is, I am. I am. They're not getting it. But somebody got it, and Matthew recorded it. And look at what happens here. Immediately, Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered, verse 28, and said to him, Lord, if it's you, then command me to come to you on the water. And so I love verse 29. Jesus said, Come, vente, ven para. Have you ever said something that you regretted saying? This is one of those things that, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you. Vente. Oh, no, I was joking. I was joking. <laughs> I don't know. John said that, you know. <laughs> Somebody else said, have you ever said something that, you know, you know, Lord, if you, uh, Lord, I'm there, you know. You, you said something because you're feeling it with your heart, you know, and, and, you're, and you're devoted, but then your mind kicks in. Your mind. Got to love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. It's, it's a combination. Faith isn't blind. Faith sees what sometimes the naked eye and the mind cannot see. The mind sees the impossibility. Faith sees that with God, all things are possible according to God's plan, not our plan, not my plan. I'm going to get a Ferrari. I'm going to get a Ferrari. I'm going to, it's possible. I'm going to get a Ferrari. It's going to be a yellow Ferrari. Okay, I'll take a red Ferrari. I'll take a blue. I'll take any Ferrari. No, wait a minute. Ferrari might not be in my category according to God's plan. So all things are possible. I could be happy like a Ferrari in a Pinto if that's God's plan. It's God's plan. See, many people today, they've taken the church, they've taken the doctrine, they've taken the Bible, and we try to accommodate it to us, to my thinking, to my flesh, to my carnality. And then you got a good theology in a sense, but you got no power, you got no peace. You got no influence on people around you. Instead of encouraging people to get on the Lord, sometimes we hold them back. Listen to this. Get back to the story here. This is amazing. Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. Verse 29. Jesus, notice he just says one word. Come. And I love the rest of verse 29. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, He walked on water, I love this, to go to Jesus. It doesn't say he walked on water to ride a boat. Storm walking, you know, Peter. 1595, Barnes and Noble, go get your copy. Nah. He's in the storm. And it's funny because Peter probably remembered at this point, Storm 101, he's in the storm. He says, Lord, in the last storm you were in the boat. Now you're out of the boat. Lord, I just need to be with you. And listen to this, family. What a great thing it is in the storm when you fine-tune your ear and your heart and your mind to Jesus, to his voice, to his word, to his company, to his presence, to his peace. Then you experience his power. 
And that's what Peter wants. He says, Lord, I got no power here right now. I'm going down. Lord, if it's you, tell me to come. And look at this. The boat is moving. The waves are high. The wind is blowing. And you could see Peter getting out of the boat. He told me to come. I'm coming. And then he, he, he takes his first step and his second step. And he said, whoa, this is good before the surfing is invented. He's the first surfer. <laughs> but something happened to Peter that happens to everybody. Our human tendency is always this. We put our eyes on the Savior, and then we put our eyes on the storm. So what happens to Peter? It's an interesting thing. Verse 30, he saw that the wind was boisterous. Making no... And now he's afraid. And now he's beginning to sink. But he prays right. Lord, save me. Look at verse 31. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? I love this verse 32. He didn't leave him in the water. When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. I stop a second, look to your eyes. How do you think they got to the boat? You think Jesus carried Peter? Vente Pedrito para el botico. You think Jesus carried Peter? Dude, get up, man. You were doing fine. Let's, let's do this again. Come on, catch your rhythm again. Come on, Peter. Come on, Ras. The importance of learning to hear the voice of Jesus. Now, I can't tell you after 69 years, uh, since 72 serving the Lord, I can tell you the Lord talks deep or the talks light. You know, but I could tell you that when the Lord talks, your heart knows the peace, the presence of the Lord. That's one of the beautiful things about being born again, being saved, that you could be a sheep of the Lord, your shepherd, and he would guide you. You can hear him in the midst of the storm. And here's what happens. Sometimes we take our eyes off Jesus and we begin to sink, and there's nothing better than when you're sinking to say, Lord, save me me and to experience his hand says ben paca, i got you i got you i remember we went to this restaurant this is an illustration and there was this waiter and every time we asked for something hey we'll take waters i got you he would come back i'll take water no ice water with ice he got the order confused <laughs> my my wife asked for something he, that was his coin word i got you i got you you know and he would just come back he didn't have us <laughs> We're leaving, and I told my wife, I'm going to leave him a big tip. And he still looked at me and said, why? I said, honey, this guy ain't going to get any other tip today. <laughs> this, we, we better bless this guy because I got you. I got you. I got you. I got you. <laughs> if you got Matthew 14 open, it says, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him. I got gotcha. you. The divorce, the storm. What, your wife got COVID? What, your kid got COVID? I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. But get this. To conserve the purpose, the course, the mission. I remember when I first started serving. Lord, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to give you my life. And I, I looked at Billy Graham. I saw the results. That's what I wanted. <laughs> I want a lot of people, Lord, you know. And for so many years in ministry, men's meeting. We started, my wife started a ladies' meeting, 30 ladies. They had these banquets, this food. I, was, I started the men's meeting. Two men. 
<laughs> Eventually it grows to 11, 15, 20. I say, yeah, we're on this. Next, next Monday night, I'm there by myself. <laughs> and for so many years, and the Lord was getting something out of my heart. Raz, I got you. Is that enough for you? Or you need 20 men? Or you need a mega church? The course of the Lord, the purpose of the Lord, the mission of the Lord. And as I teach this morning, those that have ears to hear, listen. What's your life going to be? Your plan, your strategy, your desire, your pride, your working. You're going to miss out on this. You're never going to walk on water. And if you don't walk on water, you can never sink on water. What's better, walking on water or sinking? And I would assure you, if we have Peter here, we say, you know what's best? That when I was sinking, he still stretched out his hand. He still picked me up. And then he said in a kind way, why you doubt? I got you. I got you, Pete. If you keep reading this, this to me is amazing. I run out of time. I have to close it. Otherwise, Pastor Zach won't let me teach again. (laughs) They got into the boat. Peter walked back to the boat. Peter finished what he started. I'm confident of this, that he that began the good work in you, he is faithful to complete it. And so in verse 33, now you see what happens, right? Then those that were in the boat, they came. I love this. You got to get this. And they worshiped him. And they said, truly, you are the son of God. So I went so fast. Let me give you what's happening here. There's a working. There's a working. There's going to be a wrestling, but there's going to be a wonder. Anytime you hear the word of Jesus, anytime you try to obey Jesus, there's going to be a wrestling. There's going to be a problem, tricky situation, prodigals, divorces, betrayal. There's going to be obstacles. I should look in your eyes as I say this. If you're going to live for Jesus, there's going to be obstacles in your life. All you have, you want to see obstacles come in your life? Make it a purpose to be here every Sunday night at 6 p.m. We have prayer. The minute you make that purpose, everybody, the flat tires in your car, people are going to be calling you. When you're ready to go to prayer service, you're going to have your aunt and your uncle and your friend from high school that you can even find in Facebook. They're going to be coming. It's amazing the obstacles you get when you say, Lord, I'm going to live for you. Lord, let's get serious. Lord, let's get right. And let me put in a plug here that I could do this now. I, I, I wasn't able to do this when I was the pastor, but I could do this now okay you have a young pastor that it's a privilege to have him he's like his mom praise the lord you know sack i love it. he says it black and white it is what it is you know i try to put a little butter on it you know i try to put, i love sack si te gusta bien come next sunday si no te gusta bien come next sunday again we should support a pastor like that we should pray for a pastor like that for the last two years a man has been here playing worship on sunday nights who's coming to pray cricket cricket one cricket, two cricket, pastor cricket, <laughs> elder cricket, deacon cricket. Are you praying? Listen, you don't even have to come here at 6. Just set your timer wherever you are at home. Pray, 6 o'clock. We need to pray. But let me tell you, when you come here, it gets a whole lot better. Jesus gets in the boat. Jesus gets in the boat. Peter gets in the boat. Looking at each other. And now they worship him. There's going to be a working of God. There's going to be a wrestling. But in storms of life, when you navigate the storms properly, what do you mean the baby is not alive? 
well, we didn't plan for this. What do you mean the baby's not alive? Take another ultrasound. What do you mean your wife left you? You know how long we've been married? We were high school sweethearts. What do you mean she, she left me for another guy that she found on Facebook? What, do you, what kind of storm is this? What do you mean I have cancer? I can't have cancer. I'm the sole provider in this family. My kid is in high school. My other kids, what do you mean? What do you mean I got, what are you, what are you talking about? The storms, how do you know when you get through the storms in life properly? At the end, you just don't say, I did it my way. You worship Jesus. You worship Jesus. You don't even worship healing. You don't even worship the, 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 the miracle. You know, they got all these churches with prosperity, you know, gospel, you know. You're going to be wealthy. You're going to make money. Give some money to the church. Put your seed money. Sometimes I want to tell those pastors, why don't you put enough seed that nobody else has to put a seed? Getting rich of people, driving rolls, flying jets. Put your seed money so I could fly. They're going to answer to God. But what am I doing? Try to awaken you to the simplicity and the humility of the truth of God's word that sometimes you walk on water, sometimes you sink in the water, but when you call out to Jesus, it was a short prayer. Lord, save me. Aren't you glad Jesus answers short prayers too? <laughs> this wasn't the time for me to say, Our Father is water in heaven. Right now I'm drinking it, water it, and I'm going... <laughs> Aren't you glad it was just, Lord, save me. This got real. <laughs> and the Lord says, vamos, Pedro. Vamos. Let's go. I got you. And now you worship him. I got to give you the definition of worship. Worship team, please come forward. You know what worship is? It's to kiss the hand. To kiss the hand. The definition of worship is a token of reverence. I came into the platform later, so I don't know who was here early or late. But listen, the service starts at 10.55. If you get here at 10.55, you're on time. Why? Because you're ready. You're sitting down. You're saying, Lord, in worship, as the worship team is leading us in worship, here's, Lord, I'm kissing your hand. Lord, this is, Lord, thank you, Lord. And then it, it means reverence. The word worship means to fall upon your knees, to touch your head, your forehead in the ground as an expression, listen to this, of profound reverence, profound reverence. Lord, you're mighty. You can make me walk on water in the storm. Whatever storm I go through in life, Lord, you're greater. Wow, Lord, I reverence you. I worship you. Do you worship? Is to do homage is to make obeisance. I don't even know how to pronounce that word. It sounds good. But I know this word, respect. It's to pay respect. How in the world does somebody grow in their relationship with God when they never worship, when you never pay him respect? It's not just songs that we sing. It's a pouring out of the heart. It prepares your heart so when the worship finishes and the teaching begins, man, the words like butter, they go right into the depths of your soul so you can make the right decisions. And now you can start living what you know. Worship. It tells us in heaven there's going to be worship. Listen, it's 1236. I don't know when I'm going to get the chance to do this again. So I just got to tell you this story. Yesterday, two days ago, I'm in Home Depot. 
And believe it or not, I talk a lot here, but I am kind of like a private guy. I'm in Home Depot, and this guy comes up to me. He starts talking. Hey, blah, 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 blah. So I start answering him. And, and before too long, I realized this is a divine opportunity. And I'm talking to him, and he's telling me the storms in his life. He's telling me the pains he's gone through. He's telling he, Home Depot. And then, and then he, he's, he's, he's from another country. He had to leave his country. He's here. And then in the conversation, he looks at me and goes, are you a psychologist? <laughs> so, no, I said, no, no, I'm on the other side. No, I didn't say that. You know. <laughs> so I didn't tell him what I, what I was. I didn't say, oh, no, I'm a pastor. You know, I, I didn't, I, I'm, just, I'm just talking to him, talking to him. So eventually he asked me, are you a pastor? I can't lie to him at that point, right? He's got me. <laughs> yeah, I'm a pastor. He says, I'm going to go to your church Sunday. What's your church? He says, well, you've spoken to me. It's been ministering to my heart. He was here for the 9 o'clock service. Pray for him. I'm, I'm in Orlando, and I get a text message from the office. Hey, the government wants to take away the tax exemption from the church. I said, what? We, I got in my, in my flesh, I'm going to call the governor. I'm, I, I know something. And the Lord says, you want to go through the storm that way or? No, no, Lord. Finally, Friday, I have an appointment, and, and, I, and I go with Ariel, and, and I said, Lord, it's up to you, Lord. It's your money. And we sit down, and the, the person that I speak to gives us grace. I tell her, hey, the church, the five acres, this acres, we use everything for the glory of God. This is the church. He says, okay, write, send me an affidavit, send me some pictures, but uh, you're probably not going to qualify now. I said, wait, wait, I'm wondering, we got there yesterday. Yesterday was the cutout day for the first, I wrote the affidavit. Was, Give me a piece of paper. I'll write the affidavit here right now. When I get to the office, I'll send you the pictures. At 4.07, we send them the pictures. I left them the affidavit. At 4.57, we had the results. Your tax exemption has been granted. 50 minutes. Yeah, the Lord should get a clap on that. Glory to the Lord. But this is why I tell you this. We have three modular units out there, brand new. They've never been used for the children to have more room. Are we praying? Are we willing to say, Lord, what, what do you want from us, Lord? What, what does it take for those modular units, Lord, to begin to be used? And some of you say, well, I know these people. I know. No, it's not knowing people. Do we know the Lord? Do we know how to go through storms? What kind of believer are you? And when you go through storm, it's not just the healing. Sometimes the Lord heals. Sometimes the cancer is in remission, is gone. My wife is a cancer survivor. But I know many pastors whose wife died in the cancer battle. But they still went through the storm. And their face is on Jesus. Do you know Jesus? Can you sit here today and say, whatever storm I go through, my face is on Jesus. There's going to be pastors coming up here. They're going to be standing up here today. If you've never given your life to Jesus, this is a great Sunday to do that. Get up out of your seat. Come forward. Pray with the pastor. Say, I want Jesus in my life. I want to go. I want to know that if I go through storm, whatever storm I go through, I want my face. I want my heart. I want it to be on Jesus. And I pray 
that when you finish your race here and you get into heaven, I pray you will be able to hear that voice that should be familiar to you. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in the little bit. I'm going to reward you in the much. But before you get to heaven, I can stand before you today. I can tell you, I think I'm the most blessed man on the face of this planet. My son-in-law, I've seen him. One of the chaplains with many agencies and seen him grow up. My, my, my other son in ministry here has been amazing to see what God has done, what he's raised up, people that like-minded, like-hearted. And you know, I was assigned for many years to Calvary Chapel, Miami. You may be assigned to the water and sewer authority. You may be assigned to the sports center. You may be assigned. Where are you assigned that? What kind of legacy are you leaving? And it's just a matter if you want to say, Lord, I want to go through storms in a way that when we're done, people will worship you, not the pastor, not the leader. People will worship you. Let's stand to our feet. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, as we stand here this morning, God, thank you that you teach us, you show us that we can go through any storm that life's weather would bring our way, physical weather or spiritual weather. And Father, we know that the spiritual storms, they're really the worst. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities and powers and rulers in dark places. And, and Lord, sometimes it's just an out front battle of doubt, of pride, of selfishness. Lord, help us. Help us to go through that storm and come on the other side in a way that we worship Joshua, Jesus, Hamashiach, the Savior. Lord, may the people standing here this morning be the people that, Lord, we're going to be a testimony unto you. And, Father, if there's anyone here today that's never entered that relationship with you based on Jesus Christ, may this be the morning that they come forward and they would pray with the pastors and say, I want Jesus. I want to be forgiven of my sins. I want to be right with God. I want to know how to tune into God's will and God's word and God's way. And yes, God's voice. I want God to speak to my heart. And so, Lord, I pray that there would be people here today that they would want that. Some people say, I hear my conscience. If you could hear your conscience, don't you want to hear the Lord? Don't you want to hear God? Father, bring us to that place that we're ready. We're ready for everything you have for us in these, the last of the last days. We pray in Jesus' name and those that agreed said, Amen.